Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text tonight is drawn from that gospel reading you heard a moment ago. These words from Luke 23, Then when one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God, seeing that you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So far our text. Dear friends, we considered last week the well-stated truth that words are ambassadors of the soul. Indeed they are. They are the agents of our heart's desire. They're the heralds that make known to others what lies deep within us, the sentiments of the heart. And at perhaps no other time in life are words chosen with such care and delivered with such intention as when they're spoken with one's dying breath. And these are what we consider in these weeks of Lent, the words our Lord chose for us. Those ambassadors he delivered to us with his dying breath. Last Wednesday evening we contemplated carefully the first verbal ambassador of our Lord, the one that he sent to us from his cross. Remember it was, Father, forgive them. This week we consider another of his articulated envoys, we consider the second word of the word incarnate from the cross. The first word that we hear in our sermon text, however, the first words are not his. They're not his words of grace seeking our pardon. Rather, they're words of accusation. And their words aim directly at him. Luke tells us one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, railed at him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself, save us too. Now, as we noted, words can tell quite a bit about the heart. And these particular words to tell us not just about his heart, because frankly, his sentiments are all too commonly entertained by us all. The first words that we hear in our text are not so infrequently the first words in our minds when we ourselves arrive in our lives at those critical moments. When we arrive at those times and, and those places from which we need rescue, like he did. Let's face it. Often, like that criminal, these are situations, too, that we've earned for ourselves. The predicaments that we've created for ourselves, by ourselves, so often single-handedly of ourselves. Perhaps we've been harsh with our words toward a spouse so that we've made our home and our marriage anything but paradise. Or perhaps we've been harsh with our words in the workplace or toward family. Harsh to the point that now our words have fallen silent. And because of it, we've created for ourselves quite a mass distance between us and a husband or wife, friction with a co-worker or boss, months of silent stalemate between a distant sibling or perhaps a parent. 
Sometimes not just our words, but we, we create our own circumstances by our deeds too. What was to be a one-time, perhaps a one-night fling turns into a lifetime responsibility. Or our own carelessness with our daily bread leaves us without what we had and then leaves us without what we need to get by. Finding ourselves in the fixes of life, so often the first words of our sermon text are the first words in our minds too. Sometimes the first words then from our mouths. And we too level the same conditions upon God saying, if you are my God, then save me. Save me from the consequences that I've created for myself. If you are God, then prove it according to my will. Because isn't that exactly what we're saying? If you're my God, prove it according to my will. That's exactly what the thief on the cross was saying when he said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and, and save us too. Was there ever, though, more irony? Was there ever more irony than that? Than such a charge would be leveled at God even while he hung there on the cross doing just that? Saving us. Dealing with the root cause of earth's consequences. Dealing with the eternal fallout of our crimes. There on the cross bailing us out eternally from sin's consequence. So St. Luke was right on when he described such words of the thief. And such words that we would entertain too as nothing short of blasphemy. But we hear another voice from the cross tonight. Whose would it be? Moved by the law and gospel circumstances all around him, we hear another voice speak. Stirred by the law of God to recognize undeniable crimes, undeniable sins committed in one's own mortality, and yet encouraged also surely by the patient suffering in that gospel cry of an innocent man, the Son of God, at arm's length, who cried out, Father, forgive them, Moved by those law and gospel circumstances, we hear another voice from the cross. And this one's not railing at our Lord, at least not anymore. This one is the voice that's been moved to faith. Speaking the words of faith. Words that rebuke the faithless charges that would try to put God into a little box. Or onto marionette strings so that we might... Manipulate somehow his saving hand in our lives. The words that we hear next tell us what faith sounds like in life's predicament. Luke says, but the other criminal, answering the first, rebuked him saying, don't you fear God? Seeing that we're under the same condemnation and we indeed justly for, for here we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. This is what we've earned. This man, he's done nothing wrong. And then he turned and he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This voice knew the wages of sin. This voice knew also the earthly due reward and the fallout of our deeds. This voice knew where the blame rested solely where it rested. It didn't try to, didn't try to transfer the blame onto God somehow. Faith's voice doesn't deny its own guilt. 
It doesn't excuse or refuse the due consequences. But neither does it despair. Guilty as we may be like a thief on a cross, still, like that thief on the cross, we too can, at our Lord's bidding, we too can run to Christ. We can run to Him and find our last and our greatest refuge in His pierced and in His outstretched arms. Like that thief, we, we look to Christ. We look to Christ and not at the evidence of our guilt, which is abounding and convicting and it's condemning. We look not at the evidence of our guilt, nor do we look at the magnitude of our sin, which surely is great. But we fix our eyes on Christ Jesus. Think about it. So easily that thief could have lost focus just like we can lose focus of our salvation. For him it was literally at hand. For us too. We can so easily lose focus of it if, if he and if we listen to and lose ourselves in the charges. True as they may be, if we listen to and lose ourselves in the charges and accusations surely accusing us all around. He could have and, and we can too become undone dwelling in our earthly consequences. He dwelling in the consequence of, of the sentence of Roman justice or, or we in the particular consequences of, of the, the fallout of our sin in our lives. We can become undone. Dwelling on these things. We can lose sight dwelling upon just who we are as he could have just on, on just who he was. Dwelling upon what he'd become. What he'd made of his life. Us dwelling upon what we've made of the lives of those around us. But, but friends, our Lord, even from the cross, our Lord trains the eyes of his faithful away from themselves. And fixes their eyes upon the Savior. And gives to us too that voice of faith. Faith that, that falls at the nail-pierced feet of Christ. And cries out faith's cry, Kyrie eleison. Which means, Lord, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And mercy is what he has. You need only look at the cross to know that mercy is what he is. You've heard the expression, to catch a thief, you have to be a thief. Our Lord changed that a little bit. To say this, to save a thief, you have to be the thief. And that's exactly what he did. On the cross, he became our sin for us. Whatever that sin may be, he became it for us. Whether it's a sin that devastated, that, that's completely devastated a certain aspect of your life. Or perhaps a sin that only you and God know of. No matter the offense, Scripture declares it. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And commenting on that very passage, Martin Luther once gave us these words. He said, The prophets did foresee that Christ should become the greatest transgressor and rebel and blasphemer, etc., whatever that ever was or ever could be in all the world. He continues, he says, Our merciful Father sent His only Son into the world and laid upon Him the sins of all men, saying, My Son, 
Be thou Peter, that denier. Be Paul, that persecutor and blasphemer. Be David, that adulterer. Be the thief which hanged upon the cross. And briefly, be thou the person which hath committed the sins of all men. See therefore that thou payest for them and satisfiest them all by thy death and by thy blood. It's beautifully said. Equally beautiful is the way that the thief on the cross put it. In words of faith, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Friends, by faith, we know that prayer too. Jesus, remember me. My friends, how could he forget you? For did he not suffer unspeakable anguish for you? And I'm not talking about you generally. I'm talking about you personally. Did he not collect all of your crimes and misdemeanors and fall under their condemnation? Did he not refuse to save himself but instead opted to save you? Was he not forsaken by the Father so that you never would be? Did he not enter into your hell so that he could return you to his heaven? Did he not die for you? How could he possibly now forget you? It's like the old Lutheran Johann Gerhard once put it. He said, if he so remembered you in death, will he not surely remember you now that he lives and reigns in his kingdom? And to each voice that yet prays in faith, Jesus, remember me, Christ's carefully chosen words from the cross, they still answer that prayer the same way. Truly, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. In the original language, it's a word that carries the meaning of an enclosed park. Or a place of leisure, a rest for the weary, a place of recreation. It's a place where the grounds are beautiful, they're tended to perfection, and they're kept that way for our enjoyment. That's paradise. The predicaments of life seem a long way from paradise. Friends, here again, the fruit of his cross affirmed and our faith confirmed when he says, truly, you will be with me in paradise. So whether that's today that he calls you to paradise, tonight, tomorrow, or many, many days and years from now, whichever day is your today, this is his promise to you and all believers in that day. Truly, today, you will be with me in paradise. One last thing to say tonight. Note this, friends, that faith's prayer from the criminal on the cross, it did not expect that this forgiveness of sins would undo the consequences of sin in the world. That thief, that faithful thief on the cross, he harbored no illusion that Christ would unfasten the nails of his cross and reverse the sentence of Roman justice and gently set him down and happily then send him on his way. No doubt, his guilt before God was gone. It was forgiven in Christ eternally, never, ever 
in all eternity would it rise again to accuse him. But the worldly consequences in this world, they remain. He wasn't getting down from that cross. He knew it. Nowhere does God promise to undo the worldly consequences here and now in this life. Sorrow over reckless driving doesn't fix the fender, doesn't heal the broken leg, it doesn't bring back the life that it cost. The worldly consequences here below, they'll remain for the time. Our Lord, Lord, though, He does promise to be with us. He promises to help us cope with the fallout of all of our wrongs and our mistakes. He promises to be with us, never to forsake us, and to give us grace sufficient to deal with these things in each and every day. But remember this, that His kingdom is not of this world. And so neither is our final hope. When our last day is setting on us, his promise still holds true for you and for all of those who, like the thief on the cross, raise their eyes in faith to him. The promise holds. Truly, today you will be with me in paradise. And then the consequences will be gone. No more coping then. No more hoping. No more tears. For we will be where he promised we would be, with him in paradise. Until that day, the peace of God that transcends all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in him and fixed upon him. In his name, amen.